You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Madison Reed is revolutionizing the way women like me color their hair with gorgeous salon quality, multidimensional hair color delivered to your door on your schedule. Join the hundreds of thousands of women who have tried and who have loved Madison Reed. Visit madison-reed.com and get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit with promo code writers. That's madison-reed.com. Use the promo code writers. Hey, listeners, a couple quick notes before the show. Yes, I know there has been a decision in the Bo Bergdahl sentencing hearing. We didn't know about that when we recorded this show. Second, Amber Hunt of Accused reached out to me, and I wanted to pass along the note that the first few episodes of the podcast Accused have been remixed and re-uploaded. As you may remember... Kevin, in particular, had some complaints about the audio quality on that show. Amber took heed and got her paper to go ahead and invest a little bit in the sound quality of the show. So take a listen to Accused. I still give it a strong thumbs up, and now it sounds even better than ever. All right. Enjoy the show. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about true crime, pop culture, journalism. And this week, we'll explore a new podcast which investigates the mysterious cult and mass suicide of Heaven's Gate. Were its members brainwashed or just looking for some kind of weird 1970s personal fulfillment? Then we turn the knob to 11 with our first impressions of the much-awaited second season of Stranger Things. Joining me to dive into all of that is my true crime co-author, real-life husband, and host of These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast, Kevin Flynn, or should I say, Kevoti Flynn. Hello, Kevin. I just, that's such, <laughs> that Heaven Gates reference is so obscure. <laughs> You'll be okay. Yeah, no, I don't feel okay. I feel like a tick. I've eaten all that extra Halloween candy. It's true. It's true. I have had so many Reese's Peanut Butter Cups in the last 24 hours. Everybody <laughs> went at the last minute ran and got, oh, we're going to run out. I got more candy. Everybody came on with more candy. Yeah. We had 10 goddamn kids. I know. I know. It was a good time, though. Yeah. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, licensed private investigator, former defense investigator, and animal safety crusader, Laura Bricker. Good evening, Laura Bricker. Good evening. I am very pleased with how all the Crime Writers listeners are responding to the call about lily toxicity. And also, they've raised over $500 for the Stampy Memorial at Cats First. So that's awesome news. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, of course, Cats First is the rescue where Stampy came from. I did post a link to Cats First on our website. Uh, they have a very old school website, by the way. So you can donate by PayPal yes. or check. And I am, $500 is no chump change. However, I donated 100 of that. So I'm just saying I'm responsible for 20% of the donations to Cats First. I think our, more of our what, listeners Do you want a memorial can, to yourself, too? No, no, no. I just think more of our listeners <laughs> can chip in a buck Thank or you, three Rebecca. or four or five. Like, donate to Cats First, man. That's where the stampy chlamydia cat came from. The <laughs> progenitor of the, the cat, cat of the week. The cat came from that, not the chlamydia. 
It's true. We don't know where the chlamydia came from. Yes, it's true. It's true. Anyway, if you want to check out a link to donate to the rescue where Stampy came from, poor beloved R.I.P. Stampy, go to our website, crimewriterson.com. And finally with us is our favorite skeptic and fan of sports ball, the brilliant novelist behind the City Trilogy and co-host of the Radio Free Dystopia podcast, Tobody Ball. Hello, Toby. Meow, you doing, Rebecca? <laughs> <laughs> You're speaking a little um, cat tonight. That's like Mrs. What's-Her-Face from the Mr. Rogers neighborhood. Meow, 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 Mr. Rogers. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Is it meow, meow, cat? I forget. Yes, yes. And as long-time <laughs> listeners of this podcast know... I was a latecomer. I did not actually realize Mr. Rogers himself was doing all the voices in the neighborhood of make-believe until, like, what, two years ago when you Your told me? Your mind was fucking blown. <laughs> it was. <laughs> all right. Well, guys, I hate to do this two weeks in a row, but I have some very sad news to report at the start of this podcast. Oh, no. Uh, Amazon has shut down our affiliates account, which means... We no longer have an Amazon link on our website for our listeners to buy stuff where a little tiny piece of their purchase goes to support this podcast. And I'll say it's a loss because literally that Amazon money is what paid like the utility bills for the studio. It's not true. Yeah. So we got an email saying that we had um, somehow violated the terms of service. By asking our listeners to support the podcast by using the link, something that would, by the way, that like hundreds of other podcasts do the same thing. Maybe we're just the first of hundreds of podcasts about to be slayed. I don't know. But I guess our listeners were supposed to just randomly stumble upon our Amazon link and use it. Um, And the email from Amazon said that their decision was immediate and it was non-appealable. And I couldn't even respond to the email that they (laughs) sent me (laughs) about this. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. They are Amazon taking over the world, taking names and kicking off podcasts. So, uh, wow. It doesn't make any sense to me, but. Yeah, but Toby, this was your thing, man. Yeah. Like, we got to think of a well, new thing for you to do now. We'll put out a greatest hits album. And <laughs> <laughs> I'll come back and do some spoken word stuff or something. It's a bummer. Wow. It's a total bummer. So if you go and you use the link right now, it takes you to Amazon, but there's no... Uh, we don't get any credit for the purchase. There's no cheddar so. in it for the crime writers. Yeah, so you know, there's no just, utility bill payment. No, yeah, coming from that. No, we, yeah. So if you're thinking you're doing that to help the podcast, unfortunately, you're not Amazon. Actually, whatever money Amazon owes us, they say they're not going to pay us. I know either, they're not going to so. pay us oh, wow. like four months worth oh. of Amazon money. Yeah. Wow. Really? To, Seriously? Yeah, I got to dip That's into my nasty. kid's college fund to pay our freaking electric bill for the studio. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Wait. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, it's brutal, guys. It's brutal. But I I do want to thank the hundreds of people in the U.S. and Canada and the U.K. who have historically supported us by doing your shopping with our Amazon link, buying all sorts of fun things. Maybe next week we could have Toby Rita in memoriam. Um, Oh, yeah. One last last list. Amazon items list. Maybe just pick out a couple. We we do that like in memoriam Oscar music with it or something. I'd rather just read the letter. (laughs) Okay. Uh All right. That's another option. Okay. But if you want to, you know, we should PDF the letter and put it on our website in case people want to see it. Yeah. Yeah. We'll put a copy of that letter up on the uh, website on the post for this episode. Well, I do want to um, acknowledge one other thing. I spoke to one of our listeners this week. His name is Zachary Scott. Johnson. He's a singer-songwriter. And I actually talked to him for my podcast, HGTV and Me. He's actually 
a guest on that podcast because he was on an episode of House Hunters. Mm, actually on. Which is actually on, yes. But he paid our show the nicest compliment, and I just wanted to share it with you guys. Okay. Oh. He said he listens to dozens of podcasts, like everyone. They download onto his phone, they pile up, and he just gets to them whenever. But the minute, Zachary said, he sees our podcast download, the very minute it downloads, he feels like he has to listen to it right away. And I just thought, I know how many podcasts I have on my phone, and there are very few that I feel that way about. So I just wanted to say thank you to Zachary and just let you guys know that one person feels that way about our podcast. And he doesn't work at Amazon. He does not work at Amazon. What do you think about that compliment, Laura? That was pretty nice, right? That's pretty awesome. It's good to hear good news like that in light of the great Amazon scandal. You know, I needed a little pick-me-up. It's been a rough two weeks for the crime writers. Yeah. It has. It has. Toby, do you have any podcasts that you like immediately have to listen to when you see they've downloaded onto your phone? True Crime Obsessed, I do. Mm, that's pretty quickly nice. after I see it. Yep. And uh, I actually, I li- there's an NBA podcast called Open Floor that I listen to, but that's usually when I'm at the gym. I kind of work my gym schedule around when their podcast drops. Right. Well, I'll tell you what I listened to uh, the minute I saw it in my podcast inbox this week. The trailer for season two, the long-awaited season two of Limetown. My goodness. (laughs) It's coming coming back, guys, allegedly in 2018, so we're going to have to wait a while. (laughs) Wait, what? We get time to prepare for that, you know? It took less time to make the Star Wars sequel and... (laughs) And the Justice League. Yeah, when did season one end? The final episode of season one of Limetown, uh, episode six came out in December of 2015. There were six episodes? Yeah. There were six episodes. And of course- so it's going to be two years. Well, there were more than six, six episodes because they had little like supplemental ones. Uh-huh. They had little, those little, remember they had those little apology episodes the, yeah. from the network that were supposed to be like, our reporter has actually gotten into danger and we feel really, whatever. But yeah, I mean, Limetown, honestly, I know we give it a lot of shit for its overuse of Foley. Kevin, you want to do your impression of somebody breathing on Limetown? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go walk across the floor. <laughs> Is that walking? Yeah, it's using my shoes, eh? You need to get your Foley box, get all your um, coconuts out for the horses Oh and stuff. my goodness, I have, I have my whole You whole literally have a Foley kit. box like yeah. five feet away from where we're sitting right well, now. I did radio theater about 20 years ago. I had anyway. all sorts of stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, Do you have like cornstarch for walking in snow? Uh, I, had, I had four different boxes, like uh, Tupperware boxes. One had gravel, one had sand, one had cornstarch. I can't remember what the, th- I think it had like leaves or something. So you, so you could make different kinds of sounds of people walking through the woods or whatever. This is that we did this live on stage. So and you made a fire by rustling a broom, uh, some broom. Uh, it was it was a, a bamboo walk brush. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you just kind of rub it together and it and makes, it makes a, fire sound. Makes fire, fire sound. Yeah. Well, Lime, the Limetown people know all about that. Yeah. Anyway, that podcast is coming back and I just got to say, like the minute I saw that trailer hit my inbox, I was like, oh shit, I got to listen to that because it had been three years. All right. Well, moving on. Um, Kevin, we have one of these 
news tonight. True crime podcast update. (laughs) It's a little bit more robust than last week. So all week long, we've been getting some news about the sentencing phase of the Mm -hmm. Bo Bergdahl trial. He, of course, is the guy at the center of Serial Season 2. And there have just been, there's testimony all week and all that stuff. And uh, just can you just wrap up for us what happened at the sentencing phase? Um, We don't know when the sentence is going to be handed down. It could come down by the time this podcast drops. We don't know, right? Yeah, I think uh, closing arguments are going to be held by the end of the week. So probably sometime next week we'll hear from the convening authority what his sentence is. The prosecution rested its case in the sentencing hearing and the defense got its turn this week. Among those that the government presented were wounded soldiers, uh, one who underwent 18 different surgeries to repair uh, injuries that he sustained in a firefight that he said um, happened on a mission to locate Bo Bergdahl. Mm -hmm. The other was the wife of a army sergeant who uh, was shot uh, and wounded, uh, had brain injury, shot in the head, mm-hmm. and uh, needs 24-hour care. Yep. There was some very emotional testimony. And then Bergdahl spoke, and also, um, you know, from all reports, is very emotional, apologized to those people, to everyone who put themselves in harm's way to recover him. He said that he didn't mean to do that, you know, to put them in harm's way. Also, the defense presented some experts, and we heard these guys uh, at the end of Serial Season 2 talking about how when Bergdahl came back from captivity, about what a goldmine of information he was. Right, right. Because it's so few POWs that they've recovered from these modern wars, and certainly none that had been in captivity as long as he had. Right. So they argue that they still want to be able to talk to him and debrief him and and essentially study him because of um, the good that he he may may bring. Right. And then the judge in that case also talked about, the convening authority also talked about Donald Trump's remarks. He rejected a defense motion earlier on to dismiss the case based on candidate Donald Trump's comments about Bergdahl. But the uh, the convenient authority, the judge said that he uh, may take that into consideration when it comes to pronouncing sentence. Because this is all this is about right now is what sentence should he get? You know, the aggravating factors are that you know there were other servicemen who were wounded trying to uh, find him. Mitigating factors include that he was held and tortured for five years. Right. Also that. You know, that he provides, you know, in an academic setting, some valuable study material for scientists and other researchers and therapists trying to deal with POWs. Well, let's just hope he gets treated better than uh, poor Eleven on Stranger Things, uh, right? And he's got, like, <laughs> sent to some lab where he's poked and prodded for the rest of his life. Calling out for Papa. Exactly. Well, speaking of, um, Stranger Things 2 is out. And for our listeners, I want to give you a little bit more of a chance to watch all nine episodes. Some of us may or may not have watched the whole thing already, and some of us may have just watched the first couple of episodes. So what I want to do just briefly uh, right now as a teaser for our episode next week when we're going to talk about Stranger Things Season 2, I kind of want to get your guys' first impressions. Now, Laura and Toby, I know you've each watched, what, around like four episodes? You're like less than halfway through the series, right? Yep. Yeah, yep. I think I'm up to four. All right, Laura, first impressions. Stranger Things 2 is back. Obviously, it's a much-beloved 
much awaited, although not as awaited as Limetown season two um, (laughs) (laughs) of the uh, show that came out. It was a huge blockbuster for Netflix, uh, inspiring a lot of nostalgia for 80s pop culture, a story about hard scrabble kids solving a mystery slash getting in danger slash learning who they were in the process. What are your first impressions of Stranger Things season two, Laura? I have to say, I was kind of thinking, um, you know, I started this. I'm like, oh, they're never going to be able to like top season season one. It was so great. So I was kind of going into it expecting that I wasn't going to like it as much. But so far, I am all in. I love a couple of the new characters. I had to laugh. I'm sure the rest of you did when Sean Aston made an appearance. Yes. <laughs> From Goonies. Yes. <laughs> and I, I don't know am who really because Toby hasn't watched Goonies. That's oh right. God. That's right. Oh my goodness. And there are so many yeah. Goonies references that Sean Aston makes in this show that Toby will just yeah. never not understand. <laughs> He'll never get it. Um but I, I'm happy to see Eleven is still alive and she's evolving. I love the new character Mad Max. So I'm I'm excited and I it's funny I've been watching it with my son you know he watched season 1 it was I thought a little intense but he loved it so we're trick or treating last night and he kept asking for like three musketeers and <laughs> the people would give him a three musketeers and he'd be like yeah it's for dart Ooh. and he was really happy that like three people got his stranger things reference so we're off to a good start By the way it's not a spoiler to say that 11 is alive and back because We've seen her in the promos. And her name's in the credits. Her name's in the credits. So you can't you can't really say it's a spoiler. No, it's not a yeah. spoiler. It's not. Now, Toby, um, first season, right? Tough act to follow. What do you think so far? Yeah, it's better than I thought it was going to be. You know, I think the first season was just like kind of one of those magical things. You know, now that the characters are established, you know what the basic underlying issue is uh, with the upside down and things like that. I, I don't think it's as good as the first season, mm-hmm. but given sort of the issues that they had to deal with coming back for a second season, you know, I think they're doing a, a pretty good job of keeping it mysterious and, and sort of new things coming up. And they still have a lot of that sort of wink, wink sort of callbacks to to movies from the 80s, which are like kind of fun to see. Now, one of the things that I think is interesting about this is, you know, obviously, if they're going to do a second season, they have to bring Eleven back, right? But the first season ended with basically like in a very classic story trope, Eleven sacrificed herself to save her friends, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is something we see in stories, in all kinds of stories. Think about E.T. E.T. sends himself back up to space. She's a Christ-like figure, absolutely. And and says goodbye to Elliot. I mean, the whole point is you lose these connections in order to save the people. That's a a common Mm -hmm. and classic story. I think especially in stories that are meant for kids or built around kids and kids entertainment, it's very common. It's common in a lot of things. But yes, in kids entertainment, that kind of sacrifice is something we see over and over again. It's almost, to me, I mean, I think if there's a flaw in my first impression of the series, I'm not going to acknowledge whether or not I may be one of the people who's actually finished the whole thing yet or not. One of the flaws for me in my first impression of it is that high stakes thing where they set up where she was gone, like she had made that sacrifice. They sort of don't acknowledge that in a way that is meaningful to me. She's just she's just back. I don't know, Kevin, what did you think about the way that was handled? Do you think they could have done a better job with the reveal that uh, she wasn't really sacrificed after all? I don't know. I mean, I think, and we'll get super granular next week when we talk about this, but my thought was that Stranger Things season one was sort of an all 
encapsulated beginning to end kind of story. And so now when it, it comes out that they're going to do season two, three, and four, then you have to take what was the natural ending of one story and sort of like attach something on like Frankenstein to right, right. To, to, to make it work. Um, you know, yeah, I, I guess it could have been a, a bigger reveal or a better reveal or whatever, but we just start off with, I mean, we'll just start with the first scene. We've got like all of a sudden this new crew yep. and our natural inclination is to ask, okay, how is this crew going to intersect with our established characters, because right. they will at some point. Right. And it's, you know, again, not spoiling anything, but we don't see that for, for quite some time to, until towards the end of the series. Right, which we'll talk which about we'll next get, week. Get, yeah. Now, Toby, uh, one quibble I want to point out that you sent to me about your first impression of Stranger Things. You wrote to me, I hate shows like this that show sports stuff with guys who clearly have no idea what they are doing. <laughs> what? <laughs> Like those two guys playing basketball? Yes. It, it's one of two things. Either like he literally has never played basketball before because he yeah. doesn't know how to dribble. And then he basically, like they stand in the same place for a long time and the other guy just knocks them down. It's just it's just not basketball. The other thing it could be doing is sort of mocking Teen Wolf. Yes. Or yeah. whatever. Like these, these 80s movies that had like really crappy sports scenes too. So I don't know whether it was tongue in cheek or whether it was real, but either way, it was it was kind of painful. I'll tell you that um, when you have absorbed as much 80s entertainment as I have and you go into this thinking, and this is again my first impression of season two of Stranger Things, I assume everything is tongue in cheek on some level with this show, right? right? Well, it reminded me, it brought back horrible flashbacks of uh, that movie that was like Ed Norton's first big movie with Richard Gere. Oh, with the priests? Right. And there's like a scene where he's like shooting baskets in a gym. I mean, I haven't seen this for like 15 or 20 years, but I think they're talking about like, like what a stud he was and like... Catholic Youth Association basketball, and and he's shooting baskets, and it's just so freaking clear that, <laughs> that he he's just know. like he has no clue what he's doing. He's totally uncoordinated. It's like, dude, you seriously have never scored thirty points in a game in a CYA when, game. When did you get Toby I, a sports podcast? Remember my remember my podcast <laughs> idea that I pitched to you like two years ago? You and Toby doing a podcast called Sports Dads. <laughs> sports Dads. <laughs> if you want to see the worst athletic portrayal on film you have to get Anthony Perkins in Fear Strikes Out where he plays the real Anthony Perkins from Psycho? From Psycho. <laughs> he plays I forget the name of the Red Sox player but a shortstop from the Red Sox who had mental illness and you know to watch him try to throw a ball <laughs> it was just it was like uh was he actually left-handed and he's doing this for or did like they just never Take him yeah. out of the backyard. They didn't show. even try. Well, it's the guys who are in drama club instead of playing sports. Like, it's not. <laughs> it's not a diss. It's just not what their what their background is. But it looks ridiculous. I do assume that everything in Stranger Things is a nod. I mean, they even have Max's older brother, who's like the thirty year old in high school, which is like every eighties mm-hmm. movie has that dude, right? Like the driving. Yes. Mm. Like everybody peels out. <laughs> yes. Nobody just like puts their car into gear and just like pulls into traffic. Yes. It's just like dust flying, <laughs> rubber scraping off on the road. Do you even know how to peel out in your car? Like I've driven I, I've driven five speeds like my whole life. Like 
I've maybe done that twice by mistake. Like, I wouldn't even know how to actually do that. I don't know. It was big in Vermont. I didn't know how to do it. But um, I'm just going to say that that the new badass guy, like we had literally that exact same person in my high school. And I rode in his car once home for a party. And it's amazing. I'm still alive. So I was having some like flashbacks watching this, to say the least. Wow. Laura Bricker. A little another layer, layer of the onion that is Laura I know another Bricker story. <laughs> Those people who are keeping track of the uh, Laura Bricker story. Yeah. I did see on our uh, Facebook discussion group, somebody suggested starting a whole thread of just the stories Laura tells about her personal life that add more to the character that is Laura Bricker. Uh And it's like the friend who brought home the ashes from the Salvation Army, the -hmm. party that she got arrested from at college. (laughs) Now we have a whole new thing. I found out that Laura's grandfather was the governor of Ohio. Whole mm-hmm. thing, a whole yeah, lot of things. Really. It just goes on and on. Yes. It's a great mystery. You have no John idea. John Kasich's your grandfather? No, <laughs> different guy. Oh. John Bricker. Just Google Bricker, and then you'll know. You'll Did he know. run for president or something? He was. He did run for president. He ran for president, and then he ended up as the vice presidential nominee. Yes, that's Laura 19... Bricker's grandfather. People, it's insane. Yes, it's nuts. It is nuts. So, Kevin, um, final like first impression of uh, Stranger Things two. Millie Bobby Brown. I love Millie Bobby Brown. I'm only asking you this question because every time she comes on the screen, I hear this little like squeak from you because you love her so much. What do you love so much about Millie Bobby Brown? She's great, but you know, she the thing she does better than anybody else is cry. Oh, she's the best crier. She's like a Claire, she passes Claire Danes by 100 points. Well, yeah, Claire Danes just kind of does like ugly crying, yeah. which is, but she does like such visceral crying. When she starts to cry, like you like start to well up a little yep, bit. Yep, Yeah. Of course, every time I see her with that little nosebleed, <laughs> it's um. What? <laughs> oh God! Are you bad going into an ad or is... <laughs> I don't like to think where this is going. Carry on, Kevin. <laughs> so, Kevin, um, what could help Elle with her bleeding nose? What are you going for here? I, I I'm not sure what could help with the nose. Okay. It just reminds me about. How Lola tampons oh, are God. 100% cotton <laughs> with BPA-free plastic no. applicators. No. Okay, why don't we just start the oh, ad fresh as if boy. that transition didn't happen. And I'm keeping it all in. <laughs> and I'm going to give you a chance to do a fresh start. Go, because I love this sponsor. And I don't want the sponsor to think that I don't love them by including a horrible transition, which, by the way, I'm totally not cutting out. Go. Well, Lola tampons are great. They're founded by women for women. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lola makes your month a little bit easier. Their subscription is fully customizable, so you can choose your mix of light, regular, super, the number of boxes you want, and and the frequency of your delivery because you know what's best for your body. And the subscription from Lola is super flexible, so you can change, skip, or cancel anytime. They'll email you... Uh, two days before your box or your box is shipped, so no surprises, no gimmicks. Okay, couple things. I like anything that shows up at my house without me having to like go get it. Mm-hmm. You know I love that. Yep. Also, I love for this product in particular, you know, it's the kind of thing where like you know what you need. You know what I mean? You know how like you go and you buy band-aids and like they come with all those stupid different shape band-aids in the box. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like I don't need all those dumb ones for the thumb. I just need a regular shaped bandage that I can wrap around my, you know, cut. I don't know where you're going with this, but what okay. What I'm going with that is that with Lola, you can actually pick and choose exactly what you need because no one but me knows what I need for that time of the month and I can get what I need. I yeah, know, I don't know what you need. I'm not going to so get a variety you, pack. I'm not going to have a variety pack that's got like 18 huge ones when I only actually need like 
four tiny ones. You know what uh-huh. I'm saying? Right. Yeah. I, no, I don't know what you're saying, but I'm just nodding because you're I'm a nodding. good husband. Yes, yes. For 60% off your first order, visit MyLola.com and enter crime. crime. When you subscribe, that's M-Y-L-O-L-A.com. Promo code crime. crime. What else you got, Kevin? Well, don't you hate it like when you go to a restaurant and you see the guy get the glass of wine and he swirls it around. Oh, that douche. Holds it up to the light, that like snips the cork. Yes, yes. Yeah. And it's yeah. look at the legs. Yeah, what the hell is he talking about? It is a sous of a fine Edam cheese. <laughs> you mean that guy? Yeah. I hate that guy. Yeah, well, I didn't want to be that guy, but I still wanted to be able to enjoy a nice wine. So the only wine club that's based on my taste is First Leaf. First Leaf works with you by selecting the color, wine regions, and the frequency of your wine shipments. You go online, use the app, and then you get an introductory pack with three bottles of wine, just five bucks each. These are bottles that normally go for 20 bucks or more. Last night, of course, we had we had to throw away all of the food in our refrigerator because we had no power yep. for a couple of days. Yep. And so it's like, all right, what are we going to do? Throw something on the grill. Nice couple of steak tips. Yeah. Got to have a red wine with that. Totally. So I picked up the uh, Pip and Plow 2013 Merlot, and it was a fantastic pairing. And so what I did is go to the the app, and I rated that high. And by doing this, by telling First Leaf, you know, the bottles that you like and the bottles that you didn't, like, care for as much, it helps customize your future orders. Maybe there's, like, a, a bottle that you get, and it's like, oh, it's a Shiraz, and I don't like Shiraz. Well, maybe it's not that. Maybe it's because it's a little too full-flavored. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe there's another kind of Shiraz, and they figure this all out. So uh, when your bottles arrive, you, you rate the wine, and you get personalized selections based on your unique taste. So to order your three-pack of introductory wine for $15, go to tryfirstleaf.com slash crime. So that's three bottles of wine for only 15 bucks. That's like such a good deal for three bottles of wine. It is. And it, these are our bottles of wine that you are going to like. And it is the longer you're in the in the wine club, the, the more great wine that you're going to be able to have. It's tryfirstleaf, F-I-R-S-T-L-E-A-F. Dot com slash crime. crime. Experience First Leaf today at tryfirstleaf.com slash crime. Crime. All right, Kevin, that was a very good job with those ads, except that first transition. Well, <sighs> I just I feel horrible about myself. I wish my head were an Etch-a-Sketch so I could just shake it and forget that ever happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite a visual. It is. All right. Well, let's move on to what we're talking about tonight, and that is the Heaven's Gate podcast, which... As I read this, is like the number five podcast on all of Apple Podcasts. Now, this is a new podcast from Stitcher and Pineapple Street Media. The Pineapple Street Media, of course, is the home of Missing Richard Simmons, one of my all-time favorite podcasts. Heaven's Gate explores the cult that committed mass suicide in 1997, believing that they would be taken to heaven on a UFO. The podcast follows the beginnings of the cult in the 1970s and its path to its fatal end and also contains interviews with many of the family and friends, cult members left behind, as well as experts. And it also is hosted by Glenn Washington, who is the host of the public radio show Snap Judgment and the other current hit podcast Spooked. All right. Who among us, besides me, remembers the Hale Bop Comet mass suicide that happened in 1997 and all of those news stories. Toby, do you remember this story? Very much so. Talk about what you remember. 
I remember a lot of stuff. How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> now, I, you know, the initial thing was they found them and they're all the, all these people's, their heads are shaved. They're dressed the same. I believe they had blankets put over them mm-hmm. except for the last Shrouds. couple. Yep. And they, they found, you know, the two leaders, uh, especially that Marshall Applewhite, who they had some video footage of, which they showed, and he was sort of, you know, sufficiently sort of weird that there was sort of that tabloid-type feel about it. And then as things kind of went on, and they, they, they talked to people who were in the town, and you got sort of a clearer picture of who the people were, you know, it went from being... You know, it was obviously a tragedy from the beginning, but it went from being something that was like, just seemed so, so strange to something that seemed a little less strange in that, you know, you had a sense of who the people were and that they were working, I think, doing computer stuff. And, you know, they would go into town and people seemed to think they were, you know, nice enough and not like weird zombies and and all that. So I just remember the sneakers. I remember the sneakers, yeah. but also the detail that, I'm, that stuck out to me was the fact that they were renting a mansion, like in the San Diego uh, area, yeah, right? Yeah. So, like, at the time, I mean, think about the other things that were happening in the news at the time. You had, you know, Ruby Ridge, Waco. You had, like, sort of, like, people, like, blockading themselves in, separating themselves from society in these more militarized, you know, <laughs> compound situations. And these guys just pulled all their money together and rented a mansion. <laughs> they were like computer programmers and so forth. I remember that fact. I also remember the Hailbot comet itself because yes. it was a true phenomenon. Now, Laura, do you remember that comet and looking at it up in the sky? I do. And I remember the comet actually more than the mass suicide. And, you know, so much so that we had a horse that was born during that time period that was named Hailbop. Hmm. Um so I remember uh, that more. But I, I feel like, you know, when I'm thinking about the suicide, I always thought they had purple sneakers on. I don't know why I had this. They had this. purple shrouds on and it they was, had Nike yeah. sneakers on, right? So um, one of the things this podcast does, which is interesting, is it does go back to the 1970s, the origin story mm-hmm. of this Heaven's Gate cult. We need to talk about the 1970s. Kevin, uh, you and I, I are there. both uh, yeah. you and I are both children of the seventies, right? I think our experience with our parents was a little bit different, but it was a strange time in America. And when you look at a lot of the super weird shit that exists now, or that existed back in the nineties and the early two thousands and even the eighties, a lot of cults, a lot of weird phenomena that a lot of people were drawn to, have their origin story in the late sixties, but particularly in the seventies. So. What do you think was going on in America in the 1970s, Kevin, that all this shit went down? I'm not sure where you're getting at, Professor Lavoie. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think it was a time where people were trying to find themselves and, you know, like sociologists and historians will say, look, you had Watergate, you had uh, Vietnam, you had a time when people uh, lost faith in the government, no longer saw the government as the patriarchal protector of themselves and society. So they were listless. They were looking for uh, something deeper. Um, you know, maybe a lot of them were um, hippies or protesters or 1960s radicals who thought they would change the world and they grow up into the 70s and they haven't. And so they're looking for different things. This is just, you know, I mean, it's a broad stroke, you know, self-help. You know, as a book genre, you know, was invented in the 70s. It was, as was the concept of serial killers. 
as was fuck Rebecca. Where the fuck? Well, I'll tell you. You talk. You talk about professors and sociologists, and I'm going to turn to Toby next. But I'm just going to tell you what I have always learned and read about is that in addition to all the things you mentioned, mm-hmm. there was also the sexual revolution of the late '60s mm-hmm. that divorced an entire generation of young adults from the model of how their parents lived. Mm-hmm. And those parents, by the way, were also part of a society that had been through the Second World War and so their own way were traumatized and gone through their own upheaval. So you have these like newly formed adults who are looking for something and like millions of them are looking for something. I remember my mom, you know my mom, right? My Talbot's sweater wearing mom. She did yoga in our front yard on like a towel for five years in the 1970s. Wow. <laughs> it was a weird, weird time. And it is there's a reason why so many of these groups, Scientology came of age in the 70s. We're watching uh, Scientology, Krishna, the aftermath. Yep. The Moonies. Yep. And yeah. all of these oh. sort of fringe groups. Now, Toby, um, we've hinted on a couple of past episodes that you and cults have a relationship. And um, I just I know that, by the way, that you've done some studying and some research into cults for, you know, academic purposes and writing purposes. You send me sort of a list of steps and a list of like, you know, characteristics that kind of define how these things progress when a cult is starting and how they sort of indoctrinate people. But I got to tell you something. Listening to this podcast freaked me the fuck out. And here's why. (laughs) Um, Glenn Washington in episode one talks about the basis of the Heaven's Gate cult, having it stem from all of these very popular books about UFOs and and aliens having interfered on Earth uh, for centuries. And then he was describing the books, and one of them was Chariots of the Gods, which is the one that he sort of talked about as being like the sort of tome that people would look at and sort of say, see, we're not alone. We're the... Okay. My dad had that book in his house when I was a kid. Oh, that explains so much. And as Glenn Washington is describing all of these feelings and and, and beliefs that sort of surround this, that we've been seeded by aliens, that we're sort of destined to be with them, that we're all one, I realized, I was born in 1973, and I realized that with my parents being who they are, I was maybe five minutes away from becoming a Heaven's Gate cult member at some point in my life. <laughs> and it freaks me the fuck out. I'm not going to lie. Like, it feels more mainstream to me than that. Like, I read, like, Chariots of the Gods is a book I read when I was a kid. And to this day, when I see those, like, Mayan drawings in the sand, I'm like, oh, the aliens did that. And I'm like, wait a minute. No, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Ancient aliens. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Toby, can you, like, talk about these, like, typical cult dynamics? And where the first thing that you said was, like, they know a secret. And the second thing you said was... They know there's anticipation of like an event. Like, what is that? All right. So listening to the first, you know, three episodes of the podcast, you know, Heaven's Gate, well, sort of the the details about what they believed are, are different. The way they kind of operated, you know, how they how they dealt with followers, things like that are, are actually sort of fall into this pretty typical pattern mm-hmm. for sort of the sociological study of new religious movements. So starting with the attraction of a lot of these types of things is that they know the secret, you know, and and in this case, it's, you know, the grave is not the path to heaven. Mm -hmm. It's you're going to get beamed up to a UFO. Right. And Laura's just laughing. It's It's, it's so crazy, but it's like I could see how you could get sucked into it, which is also sort of scary. Yeah. 
Right. And I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But but one of the reasons like for studying new religious movements is to look at Christianity and say, why did Christianity succeed at a time when you had all these other people who were, who were very similar, like sort of these itinerant preachers? And uh, at that time, there's a lot of what they called mystery cults. And mm-hmm. it was all about understanding the secret to to life after death. Right. All right. So that that's one thing. So then the second aspect is this idea that there's something that's imminent. Right. So you get your followers to live in this like very highly energized state for the whole time. And it, you know, it, it develops, especially when you're isolated, it develops closeness. Everybody's in a high state of agitation. And a lot of these, especially end times cults, and you hear about this every once in a while, where there'll be some preacher saying, you know, the world's going to end on this particular day. Right. And then everybody kind of laughs at them and the world doesn't end. So that's another aspect of it. So the third thing is isolation mm-hmm. from your family and your friends first, but then ultimately from society in general. Cut cut off from the world. Uh, in a lot of cases, you surrender your worldly possessions, like you're, you're sort of turning your back on materialism by basically giving all your stuff to the cult leader for the most part. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was the way um, the Rajneeshis, yep. which was a, a big group in Oregon, Okay, and then fourth is sort of the destruction of the individual. So it's pretty clear in this case how that happened, that they shaved their heads, became androgynous, rid themselves as much as possible of any sort of indication of of who they were in the past. They took on new names, dressed the same, right? So they, they completely get rid of their individuality. The last one of this sort of sequence is that, you know, they, they, they engage in preparation right. for this big event that's going to happen. This, again, it's pretty typical, especially for sort of end times movements in that we're getting ready for the end times. It's going to happen on a certain date. And what tends to happen is when the earth does not get destroyed, the leader go- says, well, you know, the problem was that that we weren't well enough prepared. Like yeah. you guys didn't do your job. It's, it's sort not of the me, twist it's on you. that. <laughs> <laughs> with Heaven's Gate is that is that the leaders started to question themselves and the followers said, oh, no, we weren't ready. Right. Um, right. You know, you know, it's interesting, Toby, when you're talking about like the five steps in doctrine, indoctrination, it sounds a lot like the way you get anyone to be part of any group. Right. You think about the military. Right. You sort of say, like, we have honor. We have code. There's the isolation from the family, like going to boot camp. Right. There's destruction of the self, shaving the head, putting everyone in uniforms. You know what I mean? Like this is this actually is how you organize a group of people. Like it's a very interesting philosophy that like these cult leaders figured out and did. And apparently in, in the case of this cult, did well enough to not keep a whole lot of people for a long time, but to keep enough people that like 39 of them ended up committing suicide in a mansion. I don't know. I think it's a very, very interesting series of steps. And we got to think about how we can do to get to more podcast followers, maybe. Right? I know. No kidding. We can start a podcast cult. We kind of have one. Sha- I mean, it's Shave your heads, people. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, now let's like, now that we have like sort of background of Heaven's Gate, let's talk a little bit about the podcast because it is really interesting. It's a very highly produced show. Um, Kevin, what do you think of the style of Heaven's Gate? A lot of sound effects, a lot of really high quality uh, recording production. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I got, they they do have a lot of archival video and audio. I didn't think when Glenn was 
you know, reading from revelations that they needed to have like all these like, you know, deep echo sound effects. So it, he sounded like the voice of God. Um, but, uh, you know, otherwise I think, you know, they've, they've got like the makings here of a solid, you know, nonfiction podcast and, I don't know how much they need to add to that. You know, it's it's they don't need so much catch up on this. Kevin, what do you think about the fact that Glenn Washington himself was involved in a religious cult? That's interesting. And so we've listened to the first three episodes and it looks like the fourth episode is going to focus actually on his experience. He said the executive producer is going to ask him. Jenna Weiss-Berman, former public radio person. You know, to talk about, you know, his experience. So it was surprising when he brought that up and saying kind of what you said, Rebecca, it's like, well, you know, it it happened to them. It could have happened to me. Right. Because I also was, you know, brought up, you know, raised in a certain way to believe certain things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they were on an extreme. So I, I think that that's an interesting point of view that he brings to the narration and I do believe that you know he's also responsible for these these interviews so I'm sure that's something that he's also bringing to his interview style as well. He actually is responsible he's actually there for the interviews. Yeah there was it's an indication about that that one mom who like stop to make sure like do you need a sandwich I yes that Nancy was really Brown good. Nancy yeah. Brown's noon do you want to eat to noon time and I kind of yeah. was and I tweeted about this today I was wondering maybe like is she hungry and she's trying to tell them she's <laughs> hungry but actually one of the producers of the show tweeted back to me and said no she was just really really nice like she made a sorbet like she was really yeah. really nice yeah. now it isn't a differently produced podcast I just want to weigh in briefly on the production because you know I am picky about production this podcast is sound quality wise recording quality wise sound design wise except for your quibble about the echo effect, beautifully produced. It's as well produced as Missing Richard Simmons was in terms of the integration of the music and the sound. And Mm -hmm. the music is super deliberate. Kevin, I know that somebody on Twitter pointed this out to you. This is something that I noticed as well. The use of the T and the Do motif in the music. Yeah, as the, sort of, the, the two people that were named The, the, the two cult leaders named T. T and Do and the two notes, it's like used in the, in the you know, the, the seventh and the octave is used in the T and the Do and that's a musical motif and it's mixed beautifully and these all those UFO sound effects and if you ever watched... So there are major seventh? Is that what if you ever watched one of those like crazy commercials for like any of these self-help books in the 70s, uh-huh. they're very, this is very much what they sound like and felt like mm-hmm. um, I do know and I've seen feedback on social media and a feedback from some of you guys that Glenn Washington if you're not familiar with him like texturally his delivery of this long pauses doesn't quite have the same style that we're used to in a narrative podcast. He's pretty earnest. Yeah. Yeah. Laura, w- what do you think about that? I, it took me a while to get used to his voice and his delivery. Um, I, I felt like he was trying really hard. It was almost more, I don't want to say theatrical, but it was like, it, it just wasn't the type of true crime narrative voice that I was used to. It seemed like maybe a voice that would be in a different type of podcast. Right, so it right. took me a little while to kind of adjust to that. Right. And I think it has a lot to do with the, the sort of cadence and the delivery and the timing. The timing mm-hmm. is very different. And that, that that's what I pick up on as an editor. Laura, there's one character in this podcast that um, reminds me a whole lot of you. Oh, uh. no. And that's, um, we mentioned her a minute ago, Nancy Brown. Uh, we hear her at the beginning of the podcast. She is the mother of one of the people who committed suicide with the Heaven's Gate uh, folks. And she, in my opinion, invented Facebook. Because, <laughs> I know. Basically, what she did was her son left, like, what, in 1975 to join this cult. Mm-hmm. And she was super supportive because it turns out she's a really nice person, as they keep pointing out. And she was like, well, this is what you really want to do. Let me pack you some snacks. 
And she said, packed her son off with these two cult leaders and sent them sent him away. And then she didn't hear from him for like five years. And she decided to start a group where she reached out to other parents, created a newsletter. And I keep in mind, this is before emails, before social media. Yeah. She's just mailing shit to people. Yeah. And she created a network of cult interveners. What did you think of this character? That was pretty amazing. I actually, um, it took me a little bit to get my head around that when she was describing this process that she went through of finding the other parents and contacting the other parents. And I'm thinking, A, how is she finding them? There's no internet. There's no email. There's no social media. I'm like, what is she like just calling people on the phone, networking? I mean, she was, it was like real shoe leather, like um, investigation there. But I liked also how they were like, you know, they were onto her as well. And so I think, you know, the fact that she was doing this and also getting noticed by the cult members for doing this when they were like, oh, don't tell anything to that lady or whatever. Or I think it was her, was it her son who was like, you have to lay low or something. Somebody, Promise somebody had you noted. won't kidnap us and we'll get in touch with you. Yeah. yeah. Which is, by the way, is a really smart tactic if you're in a cult, right? Like, yeah, we'll stay in touch with you, but only if you don't kidnap us. Like, if only the Scientologists (laughs) would do that, (laughs) Leah Remini wouldn't be giving them so much shit, right, Kevin? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, just the amount of effort that that, that she would have had to put in to get that network going and to establish those connections is, is pretty amazing. Yeah. Now, Toby, one of the things that I love about this podcast is all the people they have on uh, who are voices on the show, people who were part of Heaven's Gate and then who left, who can give that first person experience of what it was like being in the cult. But then also you have the guy who wrote the book about the cult. Like a lot of people know a lot about these two um, leaders of of the cult in the early days, T and Doe. And in episode three, they talk a lot about T and her journey, Bonnie Lou, uh, which is a hilarious real name for someone who ends up being named T as a cult <laughs> leader, and how she apparently had a tremendous amount of almost like supernatural charisma. What do you think about that, Toby? Yeah, I mean, it's that's an interesting thing in that, like the idea of somebody sort of embodying within themselves some kind of, uh, you know, trait that is charisma. The way that we ended up looking at charisma was sort of defining it more as sort of a social relationship Mm -hmm. that takes place between the charismatic person and then, you know, followers. So this idea that you would just meet somebody, I mean, I think some of it, some of it still holds true, but what they're, the sort of theory behind it, and there's, you know, People write books about this stuff, so my summing it up in two minutes isn't isn't going to do it justice. But the idea is that you know the charismatic leader basically is able to sort of represent like both sort of beliefs and also aspirations mm-hmm. of people who sort of follow him or her, and then even more so, they represent those in a way that is sort of actionable. Right. It's not just that you know I believe that like UFOs came here, but it's, I'm going to show you how Mm -hmm. UFOs are going to take you away to heaven. You know, (laughs) Laura laughing every time you say something like that is the cracking me up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I had, it's making me laugh and I don't mean it. And I don't, I'm sorry for people who have been taken in by cults, but one of the most infamous (laughs) stories in my family. You're sorry for all the millions of people listening to the show who have been taken in by (laughs) cults. They're everywhere. So I had, I, I have a cousin. Who of got taken in by the Moonies. Of course and you do. And my what? grandmother always was like, him and his friend were like biking cross country and they were biking along and this people from the Moonies were like, hey, 
come with us. We have some hot food for you. And like a year later, they finally got out. So that's why I'm kind of chuckling a little bit. <laughs> but but think about think about the way that they like the one story we, we hear about that how they sort of recruited members is they show up and they have this they're going to have this discussion or, or this this program about UFOs. And like the one guy's like, yeah, you know, I went because, you know, I'm kind of interested in UFOs. And I thought if nothing else, it was going to be funny. And the talk they give isn't like what you're expecting, right? right. It's not like, oh, you know, there's a crash in Roswell and stuff. It's like, no, this UFO is coming and uh, it, it's going to take us to heaven. Like that's you don't have to die. And so I actually what, what it made me think of is I had a, a, a good friend in high school his first year or second year in college went to one of those crazy, like is rock and roll, the devil's music or something <laughs> thinking he was just going to like laugh his way through it. Right. You know, and ended up like joining this little religious sect for like a year. Right. And like fasting and stuff like that. And the idea is you bring people who are at least interested enough to show up. And even if you only get a few of those people interested, you've done your work. Right. So Kevin. Yeah. Does it give you hope that a guy could get people to follow him and get them all to commit suicide because of a comet ostensibly becoming their way? And these are like professional people who had like computer programming jobs and so forth. Does it give you hope that that guy couldn't even make it as a sandwich shop owner? <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> I thought it was like, oh, he wasn't good at making sandwiches. Uh, maybe it was the bread. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's funny how like you know when you how these different charismatic figures sort of fall into the, these situations, but the backstory of the two I thought was pretty interesting because I've, in general you know when you think of Heaven's Gate you think of it as an incident, right? Uh, and you don't think of it as a as a movement that was two decades or three decades in the making, right? Where you had these you know different people that were you know were were going off and doing different things leading up to this. So uh, you know I think they're they're definitely shining a light on a story that has not been told. Well, there's some dread I think built in too because we know something happens to Bonnie Lou. We haven't gotten there yet, right? But we know something happens to her because. When the Heaven's Gate incident happened, there was only one of them. Well, she's she's dead. The right. people came and told the daughter that she was dead. But there's a hinting that there may have been a murder that ah, sort of yes. is peppered throughout this. Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Sure, we don't sure. really know. All we have is that tape of her with that weird voice that she adopted, uh-huh. where she sounds like Donna Reed in like a 1950s <laughs> sitcom, and we hear that she was maybe a little bit hypocritical, sending her daughter money and saying, please conform with society right. and so forth. Right. It's an interesting backstory, right? No, it is. And, and I think that's the sort of the thing about this story is that, again, we know in broad strokes what cults are and what we think happens to people in them uh you know here's a look at one that you know just is not as well known right um as scientology say yeah or or there are a lot of similarities right yeah or or the um the the branch davidians you know i mean they they did come to a deadly end Mm -hmm. but you know their path to that end point is is a lot different all the origin stories in this podcast, people who joined it and then sort of the leaders who founded it, it is so similar in its origin story to Scientology with the use of technology and the integration of like technological language and the sort of like journey to get somewhere. It reminds me so much of that, but obviously a lot more, it's a lot smaller. 
And when I see that thing about like, oh, we'll be in touch with you guys as long as you promise not to kidnap us. I'm like, that's the differentiator is that these people retain some aspect, I think, of their humanity and their desire to connect in a way that Scientology forbids. Yeah. Which is really interesting. Um, Laura, question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, imagine the greatest cult, the most appealing cult you possibly can. Perhaps that cult every single day. Oh. You get to have a white chocolate raspberry scone. Perhaps you get to go to your favorite little local Exeter book event. Uh, perhaps you have to do all of that podunk shit you really, really like, and it's really wonderful, and then you let it live forever. Um, imagine yeah. that cult, and then answer this okay. for me. Would okay. you let yourself have that stupid bowl haircut just to be in this group of people? <laughs> oh, boy. I don't know. I mean, you know, I was in a sorority. That's not really like a cult. but um... <laughs> Oh, it is. You know, there was some similar hairstyles going on there. It was in the early Friends era, um, and everyone wanted to be like Jennifer Aniston. But the the bowl haircut is a bit much. I I don't think I could do it. I just don't. All right. Well, we're only three episodes into the Heaven's Gate podcast. There's a lot more to go, but I'd love to you know gauge the group's impression so far. You know, thumbs up, thumbs down. Where we are right now in this podcast, would you recommend to our listeners they check it out? Toby, I'm going to start with you. Yeah, I think it's worth checking out. Uh, you know, I'm a little bit worried about the next episode in that I'm not sure how interested I am about Glenn's sort of upbringing in what sounds like basically a a Christian sect. But, you know, so far it's been fine. I mean, I, I shouldn't not recommend it based on a an episode that hasn't come out yet. Laura so. <laughs> <laughs> Brick, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Heaven's Gate? Do you recommend our listeners check it out? Oh, Patrick is going to be very cross with me. I, this is one where I really feel like I wish we had thumbs sideways because like I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. It's really well done, but I'm not like overly enthusiastic about it. I guess I'll go thumbs up, although I will, you know, I'll say it's it's not my most enthusiastic thumbs up that yep. I've ever given. It's, it's very well done. It's well produced. It's an interesting story. So, you know, compared to uh, other podcasts we've listened to, I'd say give it a listen. I am more enthusiastic than the both of you, and I'm more enthusiastic than a lot of our social media followers, some of whom really panned this podcast. And I, I for one, was having a difficult time understanding why. I think it's well told. I think the voices are the right voices for it. I think it's interesting. An interesting story. It's different than other stories we've heard. I love me some good cult stories, and I love me some solid audio production. So... I'm really, really enjoying it. I'm not like as addicted to it as I would be to say like Serial Season 1 or, you know, some of the other pot like Missing Richard Simmons is a good example because it's from the same production company. Do I feel like I'm dying for Episode 4 to come out? No. But when it comes out, I will listen. So for me, it's a very solid thumbs up. Kevin Flynn, what about you? I'm also going with the thumbs up for a lot of the same reasons uh, you did. I think it's a solid piece of journalism is there like a lot of mystery and suspense like that you would get in some true crime podcasts no but it is telling a little known story and it's it's telling it well so uh, i give it a a thumbs up because you know if you can't tell me something new tell me something i don't know right yeah i do want to learn more about the people and how they ended up getting to that point in 1997 of course you know you do not want to fly off to heaven in a ufo with dry skin. No, you don't. Which is why I love Kapari. <laughs> oh, Kapari's back! Yes. Kapari's beauty line of products is made from 100% organic coconut oil. It is. You know where they get the coconuts? Coconuts. Planet Earth. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey, you might have to stock up before you went up on the UFO, you know? Yes. Yes, 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 yes. The only cult I belong to is the cult of Kopari. Me too. Kopari makes multitasking skincare and body care products that are free from sulfate, silicones, GMOs, or parabens. Those are all things that, like, are in comets too, right? I mean, yes, that's they're not. Yeah, good. it's not good for you. It's not good for you. Kapari's organic coconut melt is the ultimate multitasker. But you know, if you need more intense moisture because you know it's fall, winter's coming, you should check out Kapari's coconut bomb. Bomb. Because it's the bomb, it Rebecca. Is. Tell me how much you love Kapari. I love it so much. Kevin, as you know, we were without power for two and a half days earlier this week. Mm-hmm. And as you know, when we don't have power at our Podunk country house, we don't have water. Right. Uh. So we had to go to a friend's house to take an emergency shower, which was a truncated, hot <laughs> shower with which we had like none of our regular body products, right? Yeah. I ran home from their house and walked into our dark ass bathroom with a flashlight <laughs> Desperately looking for my Kopari coconut melt so I could slather it all over my dry, darkened, dehydrated body. And it was the one thing that helped me get through that dark night of the soul that was the third night of us not having power. How is that for a testimonial? Wow. Laura, you love Kopari too, don't you? I do love Kopari, and I especially love their facial product line. They have like a three different, it's got like a toner, a cleanser, and then it's got a nice coconut lotion to put on at the end, and it's really great for sensitive skin. You're talking about Kopari's sheer oil. There's a cleansing oil, there's a facial toner that's like coconut and rose, and then there is a coconut facial lotion, and they come all together. So you use them all in order, and it's great for sensitive skin. My skin breaks out with everything, and it does not break out with this, and I smell good. Say aloha to the best skin and hair of your life with Kopari. Go to koparibeauty.com slash crime to get 20% off your order. That's Kopari, K-O-P-A-R-I, beauty.com slash crime for 20% off. Kaparibeauty.com slash crime. What else you got, Kevin? Well, you know, you certainly don't want to see your kids run off into a cult. No. Unless you want to kick them out of the house and send them to one. That's happened. For doing something that is so boneheaded. Yes. Like, imagine your 14-year-old kid. Oh, God, where is this going? Decides he's going to go trick-or-treating. Yes. But instead of, like, getting (gasps) a bag. Oh, my God, I know where this is going. This was the crime of the week at our house. You take the pillowcase from our Brooklinen sheets right (laughs) off of the bed and stuff candy in the Brooklinen sheets pillowcase. Drag it around the streets while you're trick. He came home from trick or treating, and we were like, (gasps) he took it off of our bed. I love him, but that (laughs) just lucky to be alive. Uh, Wow. Yeah, yeah, that was. I, I will say, folks, do not worry. The Brooklyn in sheet. It's so well made. It's fine. It was fine. Totally fine. It was fine. Put in the washer dryer. It's fine. It, it smells a little bit like Reese's on the inside, <laughs> but that's cool. Is that a bad thing? That's not a bad thing. <laughs> but I was like, man, these are luxury sheets. You know, you have crappy department store sheets in your room. You're supposed to use that for trick or treating, not our fancy Brooklyn in sheets. Brooklyn in cuts out unnecessary markups, retail licensing fees, and manufacturing waste in order to offer high end designs and exceptional savings. 
across their collection. Brooklyn and Sheets were named the winner of the best of online betting category by Good Housekeeping. Yes. This is luxury betting underpriced. You have to try these sheets today. Toby, I know you've got a set of Brooklyn and Sheets at your house. I do, and they are by far the nicest sheets I've ever had. And we actually, I don't think we've had other sheets on our bed since we got them. Mm-hmm. So we take them off, we wash them, and we throw them back on again. We have two sets of sheets that we rotate. Yes, we do. In and out. And, and we mix yeah. and match because they look all great together. They actually they do. And by the way, I love the fact that you called uh, one of our children a for taking the pillowcase of the Brooklyn and sheets, but that's not an expression I would normally use, but I love those sheets so much that I would also say that was a punk-ass bitch move from him to do that. I know, I know. Toby, did anybody in your house take one of the Brooklyn and pillowcases and go trick-or-treating with it? Hell no. That's right. <laughs> Tight ship at the ball house. No, I pulled out the oldest, most nasty-looking pillowcase I could find, and that's what went out yeah. in our house. Yeah, you can't do the Brooklyn and sheets. I love them so much, and brooklinen.com has an exclusive offer just for crime writers on listeners. Get $20 off and free shipping when you use promo code CRIME, crime. at brooklinen.com. In fact, Brooklinen is so confident that you'll love your new sheets that they'll offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all of their sheets and on comforters. sheets, a lifetime warranty. So even if that peanut butter smell does not come out... <sighs> lifetime they, warranty. Yes, it did. It's fine. I mean, maybe I'll say that because maybe I want them to send even more sheets. <laughs> but I can't. I can't say that with a straight face. There's no reason not to give these sheets a try for yourself or as a gift this holiday season. Give the gift of luxury sheets. The only way to get $20 off and free shipping, use promo code CRIME at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Promo code CRIME. CRIME. Brooklinen, these are the best sheets ever. Like, they literally are. And I know you hate the use of the word literally, but can we say they literally are? They literally are. All right, now it's time to move on to my favorite part of this podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of, of the, the week. week. Thank you very much to our listener, Carol Ann, for submitting this crime of the week suggestion this week. He was trying to make a connection to Miami. She was trying to make a connection to Nashville. Instead, they made their own kind of connection last week on a flight to Detroit. Bow. A love connection. Police say that two complete strangers sitting next to each other on a Delta flight out of L.A. were caught in a sex act in their seats. Mm. Seems the only thing going down on a plane was the woman. (laughs) A flustered passenger said there were children and seniors on the flight. Someone get me some pearls to clutch. And other people who didn't appreciate this pair of strangers' mile-high adventure. Now the unidentified 28-year-old man and 48-year-old woman... Good for her. Meow. ...could face federal misdemeanor or felony charges for their mid-air hookup. Well, someone left the flight happy, at least. <laughs> so, panel, uh, here's my question for you. Toby Ball, I'm going to start with you. What is the best thing that has ever happened to you on an airplane? Uh, you know, I've been thinking about this all day. I'm, like, trying to think of something great that happened to me on an airplane. Uh, and I, I I just, I don't know. No? So you're not a member of the Mile High Club? I mean, for that? <laughs> uh, I 
I'm not going to go into all that. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> I guess I think I drew an inside straight playing video poker nice. on the back of the, ah. like, my seat. Oh, that seat. counts. That counts. Yeah. yeah. JetBlue or Delta, one of those ones with the back of the seat yeah. thingies. Yeah. yeah, going down to Costa Rica. See, most of my flights, like the good part is when I get there. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, Laura Bricker, uh, what's the best thing that's ever happened to you on an airplane? Yeah, like Toby, not a lot. I mean, I think probably the greatest thing was like when, you know, I was on a flight that wasn't super booked and I got like the whole row of seats to myself so I could really stretch out. Because, yeah, I like I hear people like friends of mine have these like, oh, I met so-and-so on an airplane. I said like I had a friend who sat next to Trey Anastasio from Fish. Nice. And she, yeah. And I'm like, nothing like that has ever happened to me on an airplane. Um, But I did get some extra leg room. Kevin Flynn, what's the best thing that's ever happened to you on an airplane? Nothing like that. I mean, I'm lucky if I can get my tray table in the upright position. <laughs> um, there was a time I was on Southwest, mm-hmm. and they said, I was sitting in the back, and they said, well, it, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this flight is completely booked, so take a seat wherever you can. So I'm like, oh, somebody who's sweaty and smells bad is going to sit next to me, and uh Finds out they were one short, and it was the person. There was nobody sitting next to me. So you were the sweaty one who. I was back. cross country. I was. <laughs> I was cross country. One of those three seats, and I looked at the guy who was on the aisle, and we didn't have anybody sitting next to each other. And we looked at each other, and I was like, "I cannot believe that is the story you told." Why is there a better story? Yes. Remember when we got the chance because we were upgraded to first class uh-huh. and we got to sit there like kings and queens with people handing us hot scones and chocolate chip cookies while all the plebes sat in the back. And then it was time to like get the drink order. And the lady was like, there's only like four Moscow mules on this plane. Do you want us to hold them for you guys? And we were like, yes. Wait, uh- what? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Poor Toby. Let me tell you something. First people start off the podcast feeling bad about us because Amazon. No. And then at the end you throw it in their face. We fl- no. we once flew first we class did not and drank all these Moscow mules. We did not pay for this. It was a fluke in our lives. This is not a thing that ever actually happens to us in our lives. But Kevin and I did fly first class in a, at a flight out of the country once. And it was... The greatest. It was. Yeah. Imagine if, if you've ever, if you've always like me, been behind the curtain, and you're like, "What is happening up there?" It is everything you thought it would be, and more. The only thing that's missing is ponies. Yeah, no, I think I still think that that couple <laughs> making the connection has way more than going on a first class. <laughs> that's probably true. We should probably end it on that note. Uh, Toby Ball, if somebody wants to connect with you and, um, I don't know, tell you about a TV show where they actually know how to play sports, how can they reach you on Twitter? At Toby Ball NH. And Laura Bricker, if someone wants to reach out to you and find out how they can donate to Cats First, the amazing cat rescue that first connected you with RIP Stampy, how can they find you on Twitter? At Laura Bricker. And Kevin Flynn, if someone wants to reach you online and perhaps remind you why you should pay for an upgrade to first class for your wife every single time, how can they find you on Twitter? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to reach me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. You can also check out my other podcast, HGTV and Me. Next week's episode is about everyone's favorite show, Love It or List It. You can also tweet to our show, Crime Writers On. Join the fine folks in the official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group or leave a comment on our regular Facebook page. If you love this show or any of our other podcasts, please tell a friend. We're not a network. It makes a huge difference <laughs> when all of you just tell someone to listen. And if you haven't already, leave reviews on Apple Podcasts. It makes a huge difference. Line production for Partners in Crime Media is done by the very handsome Henry Lavoie. Our theme song was performed by the New York Sky Jazz 
Ensemble and used with permission. This show was recorded in Square Egg Studio, formerly known as Studio C, and before that, it was known as the closet in our basement where for sure, aliens will come and transport all of us with our bowl haircuts away to a better place. (laughs) On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. And they make your month a little bit easier because you can choose uh, how many you want in your box and how often you... <laughs> Stop it. What's happening? Stop. Is that actually the coffee? <laughs> oh, my God. How many do I want in my box? <laughs> if it's more than one, it's... Partners in crime media. media.